we're continuing in our series. We've been looking at Christ, his church, and his cause, and we've been looking at the book of Acts. And today we're going to be looking at Acts 9, verse 19b to verse 31. So before I read it out, though, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on where we've been. We've, um, it's about a guy called Saul today we're looking at, and we were introduced to him first a few weeks back when we looked at a young man who was there at um, the stoning and the death of one of the elders of the church. And he was there, he was implicit in it, um, he was watching. And last week you would have heard about an, an amazing transformation that happened in Saul's life. He met with Jesus in an amazing way. He was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of believers. And he went from that and he was on his way with arrest warrants in his hands on the way to Damascus to round up loads of other believers and to, um, to persecute them, to imprison them, to punish them as well. And he met with Jesus in a transformational way. He was, uh, there was a bright light, he fell to his knees and he heard Jesus speaking. Now Jesus this time has, has died, has been resurrected and ascended to heaven. He heard a voice from heaven, him and all, everybody around him. And he was actually struck blind, but Jesus said, it's me who you're persecuting. And so he's been led into Damascus where he was met by one of the followers, Ananias, who then spent time with him to explain what had happened, prayed for him. And then it said something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see again. So we're picking up the story from there. Let me read now. So we're reading um, from Acts 9, verse 19. It says this, it says, Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Wow, what a transformed life. A man who was um, like raising havoc for the believers, then joining them. He was a persecutor, the chief persecutor of the believers of Jesus being God. And then he became the preacher of that very same message. He was implicit in the killing of one of the elders, one of the seven, one of the deacons that had been chosen. And here he was having his own life threatened for his beliefs. What a transformation. So today what I want to do is um, have a practical demonstration of transformation. 
So I'm going to do a little experiment here. Is it safe? It's probably not safe. Well, no, it's safe. It's very safe. Um, you probably could try it at home, but don't blame me if it goes wrong. And they say that you shouldn't work with children or animals. Probably not doing this either, but I'm going to try it anyway. So here we go. This is some PVA glue, some regular PVA glue, okay? And I'm adding it into here, into this cup. And just to make things look a little bit better, I'm going to add a little bit of food colouring. I say a little bit. This went really wrong before, so there we go. Just a little bit. See? No mistakes yet. <laughs> Ner nervous laugh. <laughs> and if you can see there, look, we've got a lovely yellow mess of PVA glue now. Don't know if you can see that there. So it's just still glue, liquid glue. Here we go. Oh, I see you got <laughs> Looking lovely. Now I'm going to add a little bit of bicarbonate of soda. You can have any make. This is just one make if you can see the name. Oh, there we go. Doesn't really matter how much, I don't think. Didn't last time. <laughs> Let's just add that in. Mix it up. Still the same, still looks the same, still gluey consistency, you know. Still could stick it something on my wall or stick some pasta to cardboard if that's what I wanted to do. And now I'm going to take some of this contact lens solution. <laughs> and I'm going to add it in. Sometimes it, ooh, sometimes it goes flying. I don't think it matters how much I put that in either. So we'll just, uh, I don't know. Eat it? No, I'm not eating it. Ross. So I don't know if you can see, you maybe can't see, but all of a sudden it has become completely different consistency. And it is now actually a solid. I don't know if you can see that. So I'm going to take it out of here. I'm going to try not to make a mess. I'm going to put it on here. Because it's, ooh. <laughs> actually solid now and I'm going to roll it into a ball and I'm going to keep rolling and keep rolling but true fashion of um, what was it Blue Peter yeah. I don't know if I meant to mention that either but in Blue Peter they used to always say here's one I made earlier and here is another one that I made earlier because I don't have that time a ball I made this a couple days ago and it's now a bouncy ball I made this one as well see oops sorry <laughs> what a transformation and that's my practical, my practical illustration of transformation. Transformation is a process which something is converted. It's a radical change, not a superficial change like adding colouring, but an actual change. And apparently, if you were a chemist and you knew about these things, it's something to do with cross polymer something. Changes, <laughs> changes the state. It goes from that PVA glue, the whole purpose of it changes. You can't stick anything to the wall with a rubber bouncy ball, can you? You can only stick it with a glue, but it's changed. It's got a different purpose and a different state, different everything That's about good. it. That is what transformation is. And today I want to look at some of the characteristics using that same illustration. I want to look at some characteristics of biblical transformation. In verse 20, we read there, didn't we, that at once... Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God at once. And I want to say that transformation starts immediately. At once he did that. Now Saul was a scholar. Before this we heard of that he was um, persecuting the Christians. And the reason he was doing that because he was passionate about what he knew and about his beliefs. And he was trained as a Pharisee. He knew the word of God. He knew the scriptures. He was a scholar and he was a passionate, passionate man. And when he met Jesus 
on that road and transformation happened. It happened immediately with what he already had in him. His eyes were opened. He could see spiritually. He'd heard the gospel being preached. He'd heard Stephen as he was killed for his beliefs. He'd heard him preach the gospel and he knew when Jesus spoke to him, he knew exactly what was going on and something happened immediately. In the same way as that solution, I don't know if you could see it, but as soon as I added that um, contact lens solution, it went into a solid state. Now, it still needed a little bit of work, but it went into that solid state straight away. But it takes time. Transformation isn't just this wham, bam, that's it done. It is, actually takes a bit of time. It takes a lifetime, actually. It's a process. So although it went, you know, I had to use the one that I used a couple of days, because it takes a bit of time working it, drying it out, rolling it into a ball. It takes time. It takes time. And we see here in, in Acts, it doesn't, also, it doesn't like, I suppose, make clear, I suppose, the time. It says, well, maybe after a few days and this and that. But we see also in Galatians, Saul actually writes his own um, account of what happened at that time. And we can see um, more about the timings there. Let me read this to you. It's in Galatians 1. It says this. It said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not from human origin." did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Mm. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me to his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I turned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. You see, we see there from Paul's own account that it took time. It took time. He went into Arabia. Now they know um, at that time in Arabia, it would have been known as the wilderness, like the desert place, a place where he could take his eyes off what was human and what was going on, but actually really focus on God, focus on what God was saying to him, what God was calling him to. And he took that time out to do that. <clears throat> I know that when I myself became a Christian, I was living in Edinburgh at the time, and I was cooking for a camp outside Aviemore. They'd asked me to go along for these kids. It was a scripture union camp asked me to go along and cook for them. So I did that. But while I was there, I heard the gospel and I responded and I asked Jesus into my heart. And for me, I knew that if I went back to Edinburgh, I wasn't going to be able to give God the focus that I wanted to be able to do. I knew this wasn't just a turn my life um, to Jesus and then that was it. But I knew this was a process that God wanted to do some growing and developing in me. So I actually stayed there. I stayed in Aviemore for a year and a half. And I spent time, um, and it was really formative times, in preparing what God was saying to me, what he was speaking to me about what I was going to be doing in my life. And now, I don't know, 20-something years later, here I am in Aberdeen, knowing that my life would not have been the same if I hadn't taken that time. And it didn't stop after a year and a half either. But our process of transformation is one that goes on for a lifetime. I have a good friend um, Dave, and he is in his 80s, and he has been a Christian 60 years, 
been on a journey with Jesus for, for a very long time, but he would be the first one to tell you that he's still learning every day about what God has got for him, still being transformed and renewed by God's Spirit. You see, it takes time. But it doesn't just take time of us sitting there. It takes time with God. It takes time facing God. Transformation takes God. If I go back to my illustration that I was doing there, if I had put that food colouring in and it was still glue and I stood there um, for, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, 20 minutes, half an hour, stirring that, would that have become a bouncy ball? Well, no, it wouldn't have. I could have stood there probably for years and it still wouldn't have become a bouncy ball, but it needed the reaction with the boric acid that was in that chemical, um, that, um, what do you call it? Contact lens cleaner. It needed the reaction with that chemical. That's what transformed it. So for us, it's not just time, but transformation comes when we encounter God. As we meet the living God, as we surrender to him, as we give our lives to him, as we are filled with his spirit and know him as our savior, that's when transformation happens. So we become a new creation. Paul writes that also in his um, letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he writes this. Now, sorry, Paul and Saul, they're the same person. It's just the Hebrew and the Greek um, differentiations of the same name. So when he writes to the, the Gentiles in Greek, he uses his name Paul. So this is what he wrote there. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. We become a new creation. We are changed from the inside out and that takes God. Not just an outward change, but new purposes, new values. You know, when we try and change in our own strength, it's almost just like adding that food colouring to the, to the glue. It's, it's like, it might look different. It might look a bit better. I don't know. You might think that looked worse being yellow. But it outwardly looks different. And that might be things like trying to change, maybe stop swearing, maybe going to church on a Sunday, maybe stopping gossiping. I don't know what that would be for you. But when we try and change things ourselves on the outside, it's like being, it's like religiously sticking to rules. But that's not what transformation is. Transformation is a change from God from the inside. And then it manifests on the outside as those things. But it's not us trying to put them into practice. It's God who's done something in our heart. It takes God. It takes God to transform us. And in some other scriptures where Paul writes in um, 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, a veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord and the Spirit. We are being transformed and we are being transformed by God. And in Romans 12, Paul also writes this, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It takes God for our transformation. And it brings freedom. Freedom from the kind of religiousness of us trying hard, hard, hard to change. I need to change. People are telling me to change. I need to do it. There is freedom from that. Because God brings a change from the inside out. There is freedom. It's not just time, but as we turn away 
from ourselves and focusing on ourselves and our ability and turn towards God. He does that. He renews our mind and he transforms us. Now Saul knew this and he took time. He took time out to seek God's face. He took time out to make sure that God was um, pouring into him. He said that in that scripture, didn't he? That he wanted to consult God. Transformation, though, doesn't just take God. It also takes people. In this story so far, we've heard quite a number of different people groups, haven't we? In my background, you would have heard about Ananias, who helped Saul. He was there right at the beginning. Saul had to go to him. He was the one who explained. He was the one that prayed for him. He was the one that, like, fearfully, actually, he was like, this is the guy who's trying to kill us. This is the guy who's trying to to, um, imprison us all. But he listened to God, Ananias, and he stepped out, even though he was fearful. He stepped out in courage and boldness and went to speak to Saul. And then we have a group of believers. Now, these believers ran away in fear, not believing that Saul was who he said he was. So that's one group of people. Then we have Saul's followers, who were believers who did actually know. They believed that Saul was, was, um, had been transformed by God. And they were the ones that looked out for him and and helped him to escape from those that were trying to kill him. Then there was the Hellenistic Jews who were trying to kill him because they were just the same as Saul was before. You're totally against what God is saying. They were really persecuting the church. And then we have Barnabas. Barnabas who stood by Saul, who encouraged him, who spoke for him, stood up for him and helped him on his journey. What a mix of different people groups. Some against transformation, some helping it. God chose us, his people, to help transformation, to make it possible. It's always interesting when we read scripture like this to ask the question, well, who are we? Who are we when we look at that scripture? Are we the ones that are for transformation and helping it? Or are we the ones that are skeptical skeptical of God changing people and are still holding people at arm's length, not really wanting to get involved because we know what they used to be like? Are we for change? Are we, are, are we helping? Are we helping God transform or are we actually hindering it? When I think of an Ananias, if that, if that was any one of us, that might be people who are willing to step out and to speak to their non-Christian friends, speak to people that might ridicule them, but speaking out because God has put something in their heart. It might be somebody who's helping with an alpha course, helping those really new believers understand what it is that God is doing in their life. Or it might be like our Barnabas. Barnabas' name means the encourager. He was somebody who really encouraged Saul. He stood up for him. He spoke for him. He came alongside him. And if we're to be like him, maybe it'd be that we would be discipling people, mentoring people, coming along those in their journey who are a little bit further behind us, but supporting and helping them as they do that. God chose us, his people, his church, to aid his transformation. And in that illustration, for example, when I put that boric acid in, you saw, well, I don't know if you saw, but I saw, that it turned solid almost immediately. It turned, the state changed. But it needed that little bit of, not just time, but that little bit of working it, rolling it into a ball, um, working it out, drying it out, all that kind of stuff. And the reality is, if I hadn't done that, it would have just been maybe a solid mass of, I don't know, goo. I don't know what it would have been. Something, but it wouldn't have been the bouncy ball, that's for sure. It takes us to do something alongside the reaction. It takes us to do something alongside what God is doing as well. 
when I went to Alton Creche, that place beside Aviemore that I was saying for that time after I became a Christian. In that time, there were people who were alongside me. The first time I went to church and heard people speaking in tongues, it freaked me out a little bit. I'm not lying. Somebody was there to help me, support me, to help me to understand that was who, what was going on, what God was doing. When the first time I um, had what I would call a picture or a vision or a sense of calling from God, they helped me understand that. They walked alongside me. And I wouldn't be who I am today. I maybe even wouldn't have stayed there a year and a half if I hadn't had people coming alongside me at the same time of what God was doing in my life. God was doing it actually through them and he was helping them to make sense of it in, in my mind. So yes, God is the one who transforms us, but he uses us in that process as well. We are there to help enable, to facilitate what God is doing. And if we're honest with who we are then, who are we in that passage? Who should we be? Who do we want to be? And how do we get to that point? So my last point is that transformation doesn't just change the individual, but it has a, a spiritual effect on our environment. It has a kingdom effect. I'm going to read verse 31 again. It says this, that then the church through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now, it can feel like when you're reading that in a wonder, it's like, this sense of relief, oh good, Saul is gone, the trouble's over, somebody's not trying to, to kill people and we're not running around um, like nutters, I suppose, with havoc everywhere. It might be that it seems like that. Or it might be, well, your chief persecutor has now joined you, so maybe that's why you're at peace and, and you're relieved. But actually, I think it's all of them plus something else. I think the effect that we're seeing here is the effect of a transformed life on a community, transformed life on the people that are witnessing it. Transformation has a kingdom effect. Who would have thought that God would have chosen the one man who was persecuting his church, that it was persecuting Jesus? When Jesus on the road, when he said to him, Saul, Saul, he said, who, you know, who are you? You're persecuting me. You know, as Saul was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. So imagine God choosing that one person and transforming their lives and calling them. That encouraged the church. It must have really strengthened their faith. But not only theirs, but others that were watching as well. Because it says here, doesn't it, that the church increased by numbers. And what that means is more and more people came to believe who Jesus was, that Jesus is the Son of God. They saw the transformed life, and it changed their life. It reminds me of a story. You know, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote his gospel. And in the gospel of Luke, there's a story about a man called Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was a wealthy tax collector, which meant he stole a lot. And his community did not like him. We hear a snapshot of his life where Jesus comes into town, and he calls on Zacchaeus to go to his house. Now, the people around were not happy. They were grumbling, saying, why are you going to be going to the, the house of a sinner? Do you not know what he's doing? You know, there was that kind of grumbling from the crowd. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And actually, that man who was uh, damaging his community, stealing from them, um, but going against them, was the one man that it took when Jesus went to meet with him. What happened was Zacchaeus's life was transformed. He said to Jesus, he said, right, if I've stolen anything from anybody, I'm going to give back four times the amount. 
and if um, you know, I'm going to give half my um, belongings to the poor. The reality was, in changing Zacchaeus' life, choosing that one man out of hundreds, he blessed the whole community because the damage that Zacchaeus was doing in that community transformed the community when he changed that, when Jesus changed his life and he started giving back after that transformation. We use that story of Zacchaeus actually in the prison. When we go into the prison, um, um, Ross, who's over there, and myself, we go into prison each week and one of the things that we do is we run a course called Sycamore Tree Course uh, for Prison Fellowship. And in that course, we look at the story of Zacchaeus. We look at the transformation and we get everybody else to kind of look at their lives and actually the impact that their life is having on their community. And this week, I was speaking to a, a prisoner and um, we're not doing the courses now because of COVID, but I was speaking to one of the prisoners who's done it in the past and he was sharing some of his experiences and he knows Jesus in a life-transforming way. He's come to know Jesus. But what he was saying to me was the actual thing that helped him when he, he became a Christian was seeing what God had done in other people's lives. It was a transforming, um, like to miracle, like friends that he was in jail with, that he was in trouble with, then their life's changing. And one of the guys he was, there was a couple of people who he had witnessed that happen to, but one of them was a guy called Andy. Now, Andy Usby was in our church um, years ago. He actually died a number of years ago. I think it was more than 10 years ago now. And Andy was a, a, a young man who would not know the, the effect that him and his transformation that God had done in his life had affected others. But I can see the effects of it. And I was speaking to this man in jail. Um, and also, there's another man who's in our church, a man called Dave Morrison. You may know him. I asked his permission to tell his story. And he is a guy who now, um, you wouldn't maybe know it to look at him. He runs Alpha courses. He's one of the key leaders in our church. He is sometimes preaching in services. He is um, leading services. And he is quite a different character to how he was. But when he knew Andy Usby, he actually witnessed the change at Andy's funeral. Andy, um, had, we, had, we had told his testimony. He had written it down for us previously, and we'd read it out at his funeral. And Dave had heard that and thought, what is this all about? And had come along to church. Now, however many years later, what a transformed life. Dave went from being um, banned from every supermarket in his area and probably mostly around Aberdeen because he was a prolific thief. He was in and out of jail. He went from being banned to, uh, to be now being a manager at one of the Sainsbury's in Aberdeen. A complete change. Now entrusted um, with uh, money, with the workforce, with everything that comes with being a manager and a supervisor. What a transformation in his life. Also, he used to be in trouble with the police um, on an almost probably daily basis. And then I remember a story he was saying when he found a wallet um, just a few years ago and it was full of money and cards and he took it to the police and they, they were like dumbfounded the fact that this was the same guy that they had been arresting um, so many times that was now bringing them back. And he was able to say the change that Jesus had made in his life. What a transformation. And you know the biggest transformation there? is for Dave's family and, and the witness, um, the, the amazing witness that he was to his family. His mum, his sister, his niece, his daughter, friends. I mean, our church has grown and increased in numbers because of the witness of Dave's life, Dave's life and the transformation that God did in his life. The reality is transformation 
leaves a legacy. It has a kingdom effect. Now, you might think, well, that's not me. I've got, had no drama. I've not been in jail. I've never done drugs. I've never stolen. Well, neither have I. But that doesn't mean that the witness of our transformation, because every transformation that God does in somebody's life is a miracle, and it has a kingdom effect, whether we know it or recognize it or not, or whether we see it in our lifetime or not. God does amazing things in, in other people's lives and in our communities and our societies and our families and our relationships through what he does in our lives. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for your transforming work in our lives. Lord, I thank you that the, that the onus isn't on us in a way, Lord, that we have freedom in this, that we come to you and it's you that does the transforming, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anybody who's watching today who really feels the weight of almost the religious um, weight on their shoulders of having to try and change themselves. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would bring freedom. That you would change that thinking around in our head, Lord. That you would renew our thinking, God. And that you would set us free from that, Lord. And that you would show us that it's you that does the changing. We just need to take our focus off ourselves and put it on you. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to see things the way you do. Help us to aid you in transforming others. Lord, where we need to step out and walk alongside to be an Ananias or to be a Barnabas to somebody else, would you help us with that as well? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word.